You know, Homer, I spend my whole life entertaining kids, and I just realize I don't know the first thing about them. Well, I won't lie. Fatherhood isn't easy, like motherhood. But I wouldn't trade it for anything, except for some mag wheels. Oh, man, that would be sweet. Dad! Dad! Just a second, honey. Daddy's on his high horse. Yeah, I'm watching, honey. Nice cannonball. Four finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four Figure Discount. This week we are very lucky to be reviewing episode 3 of season 12. It's episode BABF17, Insane Clown Poppy. I am Dando. I am Guy and look, let me get it uh, straight from the upset. I am um, always, always thrilled to be talking about The Simpsons with my good man Dando, but I'm especially pleased to be talking about this episode. I hadn't uh, re-watched this one in a very long time. I am not fi- uh, not long finished rewatching it now because I caught it. Uh, we're recording this, by the way, uh, on the morning of September first, first day of spring here in Australia. I'm feeling pretty good about life in general, and feeling even better after watching Insane Clown Poppy. I loved this episode. I thought it was just hilarious. Hit 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 the right note for me on so many levels. I read a few reviews of this episode, and all of them were negative. And I just was flabbergasted because uh, I, I watched it. And what I usually do is I watch the episode and go and see what other people thought and see whether they whether they sort of point out things that I may have missed. And I'm thinking, they're pointing out how bad Homer was in this episode. And I thought, I thought Homer was hilarious in this episode. I'm sorry. One might politely ask, the fuck are these people talking about? This is great. <laughs> this is, it was everyone really, was really good fun, in this. wasn't it? Yeah. I, I, there's no bum notes in there. Well, I mean, there may be a... One or two minor ones, but no, this was just funny across the board. It just kept hitting winners and it had, as we talked about in the past, a good sort of solid emotional underpinning with, you know, Krusty bonding with his daughter and sort of learning to be a halfway decent dad. Not a great dad, but a halfway decent dad by the end. So, uh, yeah, it's got a, a rock solid emotional foundation and just good joke after good joke. I think that's what makes these later episodes good is when they're able to sort of humanize one of the sub-characters that we haven't seen in that way before. Because remember, we really enjoyed Pygmalion and it really humanized Mo in that episode. But this one really humanizes Krusty. And like you said, he's not a great dad, but at least he's making an effort for Sophie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, every, well, let's say 90%, 90 to 99% of the stuff we've seen of Krusty, he's very self-obsessed, self-involved, selfish, um, always looking out for number one, always looking for, you know, the sort of angle that'll uh, benefit Krusty best. And, um, yeah, for him to sort of bring someone else into his life and sort of, yeah, think about someone else for a change is a pleasant surprise. But it didn't feel sort of like a, a 180-degree turn. It was like, well, you know, Krusty was this way and now he's this way. It's more like, oh, no, he's still Krusty, but he's just his heart has grown just a smidge. Going into it, I was really excited, as we discussed last week, because Drew Barrymore, one of my favourite people of all time, but I don't think, unless you were told it was Drew Barrymore, I don't think you'd know it was actually Drew Barrymore voicing Sophie, because I've read that she was you know, she was a massive Simpsons fan, and up to that point, this is one of her most favourite things she's ever had the chance to do, so I feel like she really brought an acting role to her. She wasn't Drew Barrymore, she was trying to play Sophie, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah. I mean, I think you would have to be a diehard Drew Barrymore fan, like Dando, to um, <laughs> sort of go, 
oh, yeah, that's the way Drew Barrymore wouldn't put, that's the kind of inflection she'd put on a line or that's the kind of sunny personality that she'd bring to a character. But you're right, I think she was thinking, oh, no, I'm just, just you know, quote-unquote Drew Barrymore here. I'm Drew Barrymore as Sophie, so I'm going to try and flesh out this role as best I can. It's In all, in all honesty, it's not much of a role. She's more sort of a plot device than an actual character. But Drew just brings her, as I said, sunniness and sort of, uh, you know, joyful, playful, fun, sweet personality to it. Mm, 100%. In the last couple of episodes, I think season 12 has been great so far. Last week we had A Tale of Two Springfields. We're three episodes in episodes- Come on. Yeah, I know we're only three episodes in, but so far they've all been really good episodes. I've, I've been really surprised, particularly with this one, because I, I didn't remember all too much about it. But yeah, I left it just with a big smile on my face. But I think the last two episodes have been really good in the sense that they've had the the opening act or the first you know five or, five or so minutes have set up the rest of the story, but they've been really enjoyable in how they've gone about it. Like last week, we had the badger in the doghouse and this week, we had Homer and Bart with the fireworks. And mm. I mean, I've read in the reviews, people saying how childish and how much of a jerk Homer was for ruining Lisa's room. But there's something about hearing fire in the hole that never <laughs> ceases to make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I was actually yeah, very quite happy with the whole sort of um, fireworks thing. I initially thought, oh, this is just dumb, stupid behavior. But when it actually worked that first time with, uh, with the draw, I'm like, Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And there's just little bits sort of studded all through it about, um, I think when Homer sort of refers to him, himself and Bart as like the real heroes, but where's our parade? <laughs> Anytime Homer gets sincere about something like that, when he's got absolutely no right to, is something that I usually find quite funny. Uh, also, what was he say something about, oh, it's going to take a lot of fireworks to clean this place up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean that's a it's a it's a great little sort of um it's a great way to get the ball rolling and yeah, then going to the the book fair or whatever it is. I mean, that's not even related that much to the rest of the story as well. I mean, that's just mm. a reason to sort of get crusty there. Um uh, which is a reason to get Sophie there, which is a reason to, you know, have the revelation, oh, Crusty's got a kid. So, I mean, you could do this without the book fair, but the fact that they, you know, decided Oh well, what's something way we can do this? Okay, well let's, you know, do some kind of book fair, and oh, we can get all these authors involved. And I mean, that's one of the other reasons I really dig it as well, because I'm a bit of a bookworm, and the fact that there's all these literary references in there, um, just yeah, really uh, put a big smile on my face. Stephen King in particular was hilarious. Stephen King was great. Stephen King was very, very good. It's just like he can't stop from being horrific. It's just even, <laughs> even if he's trying to do a, a biography of Benjamin Franklin or something, it's just like, he opened the gates of hell. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even the Call Marge RE horror. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> he sort of yeah, turns on a dime. So, you know, he's in sort of master of horror mode. And it's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, that'll be fine. I also really enjoyed that we got an insight into Fat Tony's mansion. It surprised me. It sort of hit me as we're watching it going, we're, you know, in season 12, and I think this is the first time we've been inside the mob's mansion. That's true. I can't recall having seen it before. So, uh, yeah, that was a... Inside anyway, yeah. yeah, It's just just one of those sort of places you've known has always been there, but you've never actually thought, what's it like inside? You know, it's just... And it was just cool seeing a new... uh, the, The inside, like a new setting... Of a, of a place that's always been there in the show, but you've just never actually been there before, never actually explored it. So I, I like that as well. Hey, my favorite. 
But what was your favorite moment, Mr. Davis? Because you posted in the Patreon group that this may have had the best gag in the history of The Simpsons, and I'm very intrigued to hear what you think it was. Oh, well, I'd, I'd forgotten that it was in this episode, but um, the minute Homer said, Marge, may I play devil's advocate for a moment? <laughs> How good is it? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, that's that's just marvelous. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe it. When I, I completely forgot that joke even existed. I was like, that is amazing. I th- I think I oh I can't remember well, I mean no, I, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but uh I do remember just loving it from then yeah, from uh it just stuck in my brain for some reason. I mean, I probably thought saw it the first time. I thought, huh, that's pretty funny. And then some, a friend of mine would have brought it up maybe six months later, and it's like, oh, my God, actually, that may be one of the funniest jokes Simpsons ever did. <laughs> <laughs> because you're just thing. not expecting it at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. It just is an absolute uh, just out of left field winner of a gag. And just oh, everything about it. The fact that Homer's got a pinball machine in his house that's called Devil's Advocate that's got, like, Satan on it with a briefcase as a lawyer. And then it's... He just, plus, he just wants to sort of... He steps away from this semi-serious conversation that he's having with Chris. He's like, Marge, maybe leave Devil's Advocate for a moment. Goes to play pinball. I, I, every, I think everyone has one particular joke. You can't exactly uh, <laughs> rationalise or, or, or wholly explain why it works for you, but it just hits you right in your sweet spot. And for mine, yeah, <laughs> devil's advocate is it. I just love it. It's just like when you put it like that way. Like, yeah, the adults are having a serious conversation. Homer just wants to go play pinball. <laughs> <laughs> But but the way it's framed as well, I mean, you know, he's like, oh, Homer, Homer's going to try and throw in a bit of a, um, you know, an opposing viewpoint here just for the, you know, for the sake of balance or whatever. Nah, go play the pennies. <laughs> because I mean, how many times, is, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you've encountered someone who's like, you know, you'd be having a serious conversation. Well, if I can play devil's advocate for a moment, what about this point of view? <laughs> it's just, you know, it tends to be a fairly kind of, Oh, okay. This conversation's getting deep. You know, we're sort of we're exploring this on various levels. No, nah, not in this case. But it, it's a it's a really great gag. I mean, look, I've, I've written in all caps on my notes here. The best gag ever. Um, but <laughs> it and yeah, look, it it is. There's no two ways about that. But there's, <laughs> this this episode's full of them. I mean, the, the stuff with Johnny Tight Lips, I thought was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him to suck a lemon. <laughs> I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> but look, any anytime Fat Tony's on board as well, because I love what Joe Montagna does with, with Fat Tony. Um, and all the literary stuff. I mean, you know, it's it's got Jay Moore doing a Christopher Walken impersonation, which... Uh, so good. Oh. <laughs> good night, room. Good night, moon. <laughs> go, go, go. You do your impersonation. No, no, it. that... Well, they'll be stuttered all throughout the episode. Let's uh, let's just you know. <laughs> okay. There's a good dirty joke in there as well. I mean, we've been seeing more and more dirty jokes, but Mary Magdalene's chocolate orgasm, complete with the mm. creamy money shot. Oh man, um, <laughs> you know. And if if you're a bit of a book nerd, I mean, stuff like you know, um, the author Tom Wolfe getting uh, getting the um, uh, 
the uh, chocolate orgasm cream all over his white suit, and because that's his, that's what he's known for. I mean, Tom Wolfe is, you know, known for writing terrific books like The Right Stuff and The Bonfire of the Vanities. He's one of the sort of pioneers of new journalism, but primarily he's known for wearing a really dapper white suit. That's kind of his thing, um, and the fact that uh, he gets, you know chocolate orgasm cream all over and just rips it off. I mean, like um, like Homer with his sash in the previous episode, I think. He's just got to, <laughs> I thought that was a, just a neat little bit. Um, the stuff with the dummies guides, I thought was great because, I mean, did do you, were you a dummies guides guy or a complete idiot's guide to guy? Or were you neither? Well, I, I never really read either of them. But the thing is, I always wondered, who writes these things? Yeah. I mean, I was working for a... Um, in the late 90s, I was working for, um, it's, a, it's called a contract publishing outfit, where basically we sort of put together magazines for um, small businesses and, and things like that. And because I'm just a natural-born scammer, I thought, hmm, well, I'm part of an official sort of organisation here, a publishing house, if you may. So I was always hitting up other publishing houses saying, you know, we, uh, we help small businesses with um, various things. I would really appreciate if you could send me a review copy or a reference copy of your title. And then they would send it. And I'm like, sweet, really? free book. Um, <laughs> and because I'm also a complete idiot, I was like, hmm, may I please have a complete idiot's guide to such and such? And they're like, why does a, a small publishing house want a you know, complete idiot's guide to power yoga? And I'm like, uh, well, one, I might like to do some yoga. And two, uh, I don't know, maybe some of our readers might. But <laughs> So, so were they, those books were they just really, really dumbed down versions of everything, or what? Were, like when I say for dummies, what do they mean? Well, I'd never read the dummies ones because I thought uh, I'd rather be a complete idiot than a dummy. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a fine distinction, but um, yes, those in the know will know. Um, plus, the dummies looks books look kind of cheap. The complete idiots yeah. guides looked more like how to books. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah. As I said, it's a fine distinction, but I think you know. If you're a complete idiot, you know you're a complete idiot, and you go, oh, this will stop me being a complete idiot. It was like, oh, for dummies, we're just going to dumb it right there for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't th- I don't know if I'm explaining myself for that well. But um, what else did they have in here? Stuff? Oh, but even little throwaway lines like Mo being in that uh, the Q&A session. Maya Angelou is black? I mean, <laughs> Maya Angelou is the most black. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's, 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 the, she's the premier African-American poet of our time And just for Mo to go My Angela was black That's <laughs> <laughs> the perfect line for Mo though Mo's not the, the perfect character to say that line Oh absolutely And I mean Yeah so this has got This is just this is You've basically, never had so many favourite moments before This must have been your favourite episode ever <laughs> I reckon so It's just got so much stuff that I love. Christopher Walken, even if it's not Christopher Walken. Uh, a lot of just sort of really hacky comedian stuff from Mo. I mean, even this when Sophie first comes and says, oh, you're my daddy. What? <laughs> <laughs> Anything like that is great. A lot of Fat Tony. Um, some really good Homer. Um, some really nice sort of, not heartwarming moments, although one or two are, but just generally kind of sweet and nice moments as well. I mean, look, I'm sort of, preempting the uh, the review section here but yeah just so much good stuff in this that i really really enjoyed i really enjoyed the, the design of the family's faces of shock when homer was asking god how maud's going <laughs> that was great actually it is <laughs> like what the hell i mean you, you would expect you know marge and lisa to maybe be sort of discussed, but even bart is taken aback by like <laughs> he's oh. like oh dad <laughs> <laughs> and also i know this is childish but 
So Krusty's bragging over the car game about how smart his daughter is and how, you know, I tried the got your nose gag, didn't work on it for a second. Homer, my uncle still has my nose. <laughs> um, but yes, such, such a great episode. Can't wait to get stuck into it. But before then, let's get into some trivia. Next question. You there, eating the paste. All righty, Mr. Davis. Kick things off. It's your favorite episode. You go for it. Oh, okay, then fine. Um, when uh, Krusty is on his uh, USO tour, uh, he is accompanied by cheerleaders from which team? Ah, oh, damn, I didn't pay attention to that. It is the Cincinnati Bengals. That's right, yes. Wasn't a big hit in, uh, in the war, was he? Krusty? They didn't no. like his stick at all. <laughs> I love that all the so. I mean, because I'm assuming this is around what. This would have to be what Gulf War One, so around the early nineties or whatever. These these soldiers are surprisingly "quote unquote" woke. I mean, they're like, that's culturally insensitive. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're just fanning hatred. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first question is: What day of the week do Bart and Homer tend to spend time together? Oh. I want to say Tuesday. Tuesdays, well done. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, next question. Uh, Frink's Infocram 6000, um, you have to attach it in two places. Uh, can you name those places? Well, I know it's the loins and <laughs> your head, I guess. Is it your head? Uh, it's the brain pan. The brain pan. Okay, yes. And, and the loins. <laughs> <laughs> See, also, it's also got great Frink. Yes, I, I I love. I think every time Frink's in an episode now, as soon as I see him, I go, "Okay, this is going to be funny." He never disappoints anymore as a character. Yeah, I think they know just how to deploy Frink, and you know, don't don't give us too much, just uh, just enough, and just a bit of yay, yeah, just a bit of glaven. <laughs> yeah, you know, a little glaven goes a long way. Hundred percent. How many years ago? Was Santa's little? This is so. This is a bit of a trick question. Not a trick question, but you need to sort of have been paying attention. So, how many years ago was Santa's little helper's new doghouse completed? Ah, okay. I didn't. It was my understanding there would be no maths, but it's going. It was thirteen years, and if we're going by, oh, well, yeah, you got thir- it. Thirteen. Well, 13. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are we doing months as well? Because yeah, what uh, doghouse uh, completion date? January two thousand and seven. The answer was 13. You got it. You're very smart. <laughs> 13 years and such and such months. Yeah. Um, what would Homer trade his kids for? Oh, this is one of my questions. Mag wheels. That would be sweet. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> I'd never be one for... I, when I was about 18, I got like mag wheels. And then they were just so hard to drive and you had to be really careful and like when you're going over train tracks, you couldn't like go over too hard. And I'm just like, this is too much effort. I don't care. Just give me stocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I'm not someone who sort of gets too bunched up about their car in terms of like flashy additions. I don't really sort of do, or even, you know, I'm always bemused by like personalized number plates as well. Like, eh, I think I've said in the past, take that money and just, you know, buy a better car. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I only it was only because I got peer pressured into because I um I started working at Ford, and everyone at Ford had like the latest Ford and all these nice cars, and they were just hanging shit on me. So I was like, right, need to go out and buy the best Ford and get the best wheels, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I regretted it ever since. <laughs> uh, my next question is: 
How long had the war been over once Krusty came to? Oh, was it eight months? Correct. You are on. This, you must have loved this because you're remembering everything. I, I did. Yes, this is just lingering in my head. This episode. Um, what winning hand did Fat Tony have at poker? Straight flush. Straight flush. Mm. See, I when I saw Krusty's four aces and a king, I don't play poker enough. I was like, what could possibly beat this? <laughs> I was I was curious about that as well. It, it actually reminded me of uh, time for one of Guy's memories. Got one of one of Guy's flashbacks. I remember playing poker with my dad when I was very very young. I think he was trying to teach me how to play poker, um, and I sort of laid down my cards and said, "Is this good?" And I had like a royal flush in spades. Oh, which really? Is, which is just like the unbeatable hand. <laughs> and I just remember him just laughing his ass off. <laughs> <laughs> so, you were like, gen- you, so you weren't you were being a little smug guy. You were genuine. No, you know? I was like, is this, is this good? <laughs> <laughs> How'd I do, Dad? <laughs> uh, you can do better, son. <laughs> uh, my final question is, because you've already stolen one of mine. What is Fat Tony's real name? Oh, Frankie the Squealer it's, says that when he's getting beaten up in the in the spare room. That's right, because I think we've there's, there's been like a few names, haven't there, of, of of Fat Tony? But they, oh no, I'm sorry, I've forgotten it. It's Anthony. It's like not Anthony B. Anthony or something, is it? No, I think they call him. Oh no, oh, you mean like his real first name? Yeah. Oh, it's Marion. Marion. Yeah. What do you think I was talking about? <laughs> oh, I thought that uh, like they said his full name somewhere. Oh no no no! It's just a, yeah. Fat Tony's real name is Marion. Yeah. <laughs> no no because I think yeah I think I rem- was reading some other article where they were talking about uh, Fat Tony's various aliases and one of them was William Williams or something along those lines. But okay. yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, Frankie the Squealer. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> All righty. Well, that is trivia for this week. Unless you have one f- more for me, Mister Davis. I think we kind of uh, we stole each other's. Were, we were reading each other's minds with this one. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Fair enough. All right. On that note, then let's get into some new names. From this day forward, your names will be. Okay. Before we get into the Guy Davis new name championship, we're going to read out our twenty dollars patrons plus some newcomers to the fourth week of discount Patreon bandwagon. Twenty dollars patrons first. So we've got Jordan Molman, Richie, Nick Barbaro, Andrew Zer, Christopher Darby. Chris Malion, Will Manthorpe, Ben Smith, Noah Lucasiewicz, Matt Thompson, Mark Boston Burgess, Alex Rodriguez, Tom Pickering, Kane Von Nagy, Josh Hedge, Sean Devey, Keith Nedham, Sam Bennett, Timothy Belson, and Brandon Twitchell. Thank you so much, guys. Man, there's oh. so many to read out now. We, we'd love your support, though, guys. Keep, keep them coming in. We, we, you guys are absolute champions. Also, we've got some... Uh, some new five dollar plus patrons. We've got Amanda Hugging Kiss, as well <laughs> as well as Show Hurley. Also, a couple of patrons upgraded to five dollar patrons. We've got Emma Halford and Scott Keogh. So, thank you so much, guys, for upgrading to the five dollar tier. Um, remember, if you want to get access into the Four Finger Discount Facebook group, you're just going to be a patron. Patreon.com/slash/fourfingerdiscount. And since it's my birthday this month, I thought, Mr. Davis, I haven't actually run this by you yet, but I thought, why don't we give <clears throat> So the listeners, the chance to get access to the Facebook group for just a dollar. Oh, that sounds fine to me. Sounds fine to you? That sounds well. Given that it's also my birthday this month, I think it is your yeah. birthday this month. Yeah, one week after mine, correct? That is. That sounds about right. Or well, hang on. When's your birthday? Mine's the fourth. You're the eleventh, aren't you? No, I'm the fifth. Where? Where? Oh shit! So the- you're one day after. I knew you're one something after me. Holy shit! So you're this Saturday. That's correct. You're this Friday. What? Wow. What? <laughs> 
What? Okay. It's, it's, it's Guy and Dando's birthday week. This is amazing. This should be the birthday special. Holy shit. We have to do some sort of like Guy and Dando show birthday special. Um, but the thing, I've already got your birthday present sorted, by the way. But the thing oh. is, um, yeah, so I thought- as it, So as it, have since, I. <laughs> <laughs> since it's our, uh, our birthday, not just my birthday, it's our birthday week. I thought for the month of September- you can get access into the Four Finger Discount Facebook group for just $1. So to sign up to Patreon, patreon.com slash discount, and just jump onto the $1 tier and you'll get access into the Four Finger Discount Facebook group for the month of September. So if you want to find oh. out what the fuss is about and then be able to join in with the new name, leaderboard, and all that kind of good stuff, it's just $1 for the month of September, patreon.com slash discount. It is our birthdays, but you get the presents. However, if you'd like to, like to give us presents, well, yeah, I'm sure we could work something out. Now, the leaderboard currently stands in first position. We've got two people tied. We have got Alistair Danik on three and DL Gorman on three. In second position, we've got a tie for Garode Harrowhill on two and Neil Parks on two. And in third, Talia Enriquez and Ian Gordon both on one point each. So, what have we got this week on the new names for Insane Clown Poppy? Well, before we start handling out medals, of course we get honourable mentions and participation mm. ribbons to various people, like Ian Astley for Stuffed Crust. Uh, I Not thought that was bad. pretty good, actually. Uh, Daniel Kotnick, uh, giving, name-checking one of my favourite movies when he talks about the foiled assassination of Saddam Hussein by the coward Krusty the Clown. Um, <laughs> it's a play on the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, starring Brad Pitt. It's a pretty mm. good movie, but it goes for three hours and it's very, very slow. But uh, that's the kind of thing that I like. Uh, <laughs> uh, Josh Hedge with a bad, bad deployed clown. Yeah. <laughs> which I, I thought was pretty nice. And look, I couldn't let Andrew Pelashati uh, go by because he mentioned, well, he, he renamed this episode Homer Plays Devil's Advocate. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually really good. <laughs> uh, but one point, and uh, as it's becoming more want lately, we're splitting it, uh, well, I mean, it's not half a point to each, but each of these people gets a point okay. apiece. And one of them is Jimmy Faruja, to Ando's pronunciation, with Daddy Day Clown. Not bad. Mm. I think like the, for a good title for this one, it has to have some sort of reference to a clown and some sort of reference to being a dad. That's just my opinion anyway. That is correct. Now, you have not seen my notes, but that's uh, what the uh, upcoming... Point getters have got. Okay, they've, all, they've all got uh, a clown reference and a parenthood reference in there. So Jimmy Ferruja gets a point for Daddy Day Clown. And who else gets a point but our man Gir, Giroid Harahill mm. um, with Crustedy Agreement? I like it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. He, he sort of sold it short in when he wrote it down in the, um, on the Facebook page. He's like, eh, whatever. I'm like, I think that's your better one, Gear. So a point to you, sir. Well played. I, I, uh, that, I, I, I don't know what your thoughts were, but I think I like the fact that we didn't have Krusty engage with the mother. Yes, I did like that. I like that. Um, clearly, she's you know still carrying a grudge all these years later about that clown that uh, you know screwed up her mission, but also gave her a lovely daughter. But still, I mean, all that all that artwork around the place. Yeah, it's uh, clear that there's no love lost between Krusty uh, and Sophie's mother. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, uh, cross the agreement by Giroud Harrahill gets a point. Two points to uh, DL Gorman. DL Gorman. Uh, yeah, for for a couple of titles. Um, a terrible breach of crust. Oh, that's pretty good. Which but I there's like. A, there's, also, no, there's no fatherhood, I guess, because he 
He's a dad and he broke her trust. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Uh, plus also Children of the Clown. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, wow. That's so bad. that's actually probably my favourite so far. So what's going to be the first position then? Well, I believe this might be the first time this person's made an appearance on the leaderboard. It's Jasper Bruce. Ooh, Jasper Bruce. Well yes. done. Okay. Three points to Jasper for Father Christmas. Ha, I like it. That's I. That's worthy. Well done, Jasper. It Three is. points nice to work, Jasper, Jasper Bruce. All right, I think that might be Jasper's first appearance on the leaderboard. So, all right. Things have been thrown into disarray at the moment. All right, so what have we got here? Okay, so... Now, as a result of those points, in first position, outright is D.L. Gorman on five points. Again, leading the leaderboard. Uh, in second position, we have a three-way tie with Alistair Danik, Jasper Bruce, and Garod Harrahill all on three. And outright third position now on two points is Neil Parks with Jimmy, Ian, and Talia all on one point just outside the leaderboard. So keep them yeah. coming, guys. Remember, for the month of September, to get access into the Facebook group and be a part of the Guy Davis New Name Championship, just got to be a patron, $1 patron, patreon.com slash four-figure discount. I'll check the link in the description of this podcast. And yeah, patreon.com slash four-figure discount, $1 a month. It does not get any cheaper than that. Now, Mr. Davis, before we get into our review of Insane Clown Poppy, we must first... Jump onto our Twitter, at FourFigurePod. If you haven't followed us yet, make sure you do so. And we've asked our listeners for some uh, new names. So, obviously, if you want to be part of the Guy Davis Championship, you've got to be in the Patreon group. But if you don't want to, that's perfectly fine as well. We'd love to hear from you guys. So, I posted on there asking for some alternate names. Got here a couple from at Supernova Dragon. They say wow. K-, K Rusty at being a father. So, Krusty at being mm, a father. Not bad. Mm. They also contributed The Day the Violins Die, which has also been sent in by Daz Miller, The Day the Violins Died. <laughs> Ooh, not bad. This one's from Dan Thompson, 1086, Mob Violin. Oh, Dan. Yeah, very well good. Well played, buddy. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. And let's pick one more. Oh, we've got a couple here. So, at James Allen says, one drew over the Krusty's Nest. And <laughs> finally... At, I want to say, Siddle Jack 46, they say Krusty's in treble. <laughs> so, well done to our Twitter followers as well. So, don't forget, if you aren't a patron, you can still contribute to the new name segment. Just follow us on Twitter at FourFingerPod and look out for my post asking for the alternate names. Now, Mr. Davis, let's get into our review of Insane Clown Poppy. Let's do it! Let's do it. All right, so the air date was November 12th in the year 2000. The chalkboard gag was what? I will not surprise the incontinent. Wise advice. And the couch gag was a kind of a timely thing. So this was 2000, not long after The Matrix came out. Um, so I just wrote down here, The Matrix parody. Freeze frame yeah. in the air, spin around. I, mean, I think everyone was doing it at that point, right? They were. I mean, I remember yeah, the Charlie's Angels movie, tie into Drew Barrymore, uh, mm. did that a fair bit, actually. I think that came out in around 2000 as well. So yeah, there was a whole lot of that bullet time or whatever they called it. But yeah. Every every action movie worth of salt was kind of like, hey, let's, you know, have someone freeze in the air and move the camera around and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, this is getting a bit played out. <laughs> the, the Matrix was the first to do it, or am I incorrect in saying that? I don't think – I think it probably was. or Certainly the first one to really bring it to prominence, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, try, I'm trying to remember of thing, trying to think of movies beforehand that probably did it. In all honesty, there was – probably some Hong Kong action movie that did something yeah. similar. But uh, yeah. yeah, The Matrix is definitely the one that brought it to uh, brought it to the mainstream. The episode kicks off with Homer and Bart just setting off fireworks, do, completing tasks, but with fireworks. So as we discussed at the start, fixing the draw, what made this whole work? Because you're saying how you thought, oh, this is just 
you know, them being dumb and blowing things up. But what made this work was it actually was working, with, at least Absolutely. with the drawer anyway. It's just a couple of moments. It's like, for example, just like with The Devil's Advocate, this episode took jokes in ways that you just didn't expect it to. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you know, at first with their, their fun with fireworks was just blowing shit up. I mean, they were blowing up that poor innocent watermelon. Uh, but then, you know, they decided to, oh, let's combine work and play. It's a, you know, a very effective strategy on their part. And the fact that it worked with the draw, yeah, good stuff. I love the question from Homer. Marge, do you want it done right or done fast? (laughs) (laughs) Like Marge as well. Well, like all Americans, fast. Yeah. (laughs) And you cannot argue with the results. But I highly recommend (laughs) listeners don't try and fix drawers with dynamite. Just don't try to fix drawers. Just move house. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Just, just leave them there and just pack the rest of your shit up and move. Just leave. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> leave that for the next uh, resident. <laughs> I kind of feel sorry for the, uh, for Santa's little helper here, having to make a house out of a sheet. <laughs> it, was, it was it was a bit sad for Santa's little helper, but, you yeah. know, wait seven years and uh, you'll have a, a beautiful new residence. Yeah. I doubt it, but, you yeah. know. Then we get Lisa's uh, tape stuck in the VCR. So this, for you know, new viewers, would be like, what's a VCR? But um, this used to happen a lot. When your tape got jammed, like you push eject and it'd come halfway out, your life was over. Oh, pretty much. Oh, yeah. You'd spend the next hour or so just very gingerly trying to sort of move it out slowly, move it out slowly, <laughs> inch by inch by inch and, you know, try not to, you know, break the tape in half or anything like that. And, oh, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a nightmare when your tape got uh, chewed up by your by your, um, by your VCR or, or it happened more frequently with cassette tapes, didn't it, with, with audio ah, tapes? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. But it's, the thing is, when I was a kid, I always remember, you know, the tape would get jammed, I'd get the screwdriver, open up the top, expecting to be able to fix it, and then look at it and go, nah. <laughs> I ain't touching this. <laughs> there are so many moving parts inside this thing. No. <laughs> um, but yes, it would take a lot of fireworks to clean this mess up. Um, I also did love here, so we didn't blow Maggie's room up. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> So they suggest, well, since it's your birthday, we'll let you decide what you want us to do. And she suggests the book festival, which they go, even though they don't want to, they do because Lisa's are. Well, they, they blow up a room, so making up for it, and it's her birthday. They go there at the festival, Millhouse, <laughs> one dollar off all poetry, poetry books. <laughs> Their hands were everywhere. <laughs> oh, the poor kid got molested. I'm sure that's dreadful. <laughs> poor old Millhouse. <laughs> uh, then we get Love Joys in Kitchen with Jesus. I want that book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right though Another very adult gag The chocolate orgasm They weren't even trying to hide it this time Just chocolate orgasm And I'm like oh yeah, my. Pretty, yeah I mean pretty racy thing For Reverend Lovejoy To be sort of uh, whipping up in the kitchen But yeah when it uh, when you take a bite And it just Yeah I mean that's uh, Okay you're, you're pushing it <laughs> I mean yeah, I imagine that uh, Any kids probably You know a kid watching that With their parents The parents probably going <laughs> What's so funny? (laughs) (laughs) Then we get Stephen King. So, Mr. King, what tale of horror and the macabre are you working on now? Oh, I don't feel like writing horror right now. Oh, that's too bad. I'm working on a biography of Benjamin Franklin. He's a fascinating man. He discovered electricity and used it to torture small animals and green mountain men. And that key he tied to the end of a kite, it opened the gates of hell! Let me know when you get back to horror. Will do. I envision this is what Stephen King is almost like. Like, he can't actually write a story unless it's horror. <laughs> True. I think uh, there's... He's 
maybe done one or two things that aren't horror, but always a little bit of horror sort of sneaks into them. I mean, I think he's written maybe like, I think he's written a Western and maybe like a crime book. And they're not really high profile ones. Okay. I think he's, um, yeah, but I, I, horror is, well, yeah, <laughs> he's the king of horror, man. So, uh, but, uh, but I like how he steers into that. I like he's sort of embraced it. Uh, the one thing I did really like about that exchange was just Mars pronunciation of uh, macabre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then we get Frank and Dr. Nick. It's a free country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a... I, I really, I really appreciated that line, that little comeback line of Dr. Nick's when he said it's a free country. Because, I mean, I think the obvious thing would be to go, lose weight? But it's like, yeah, eh, yeah maybe. <laughs> it's a free country. <laughs> they just... They didn't quite go the extra mile, but they went the extra half mile with just some of the punchlines here. Yeah, so Do- Dr. Nick's not lying. He's just like, hasn't thought about that that part of the yeah. situation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we get the, the books for dummies and the amazing Christopher Walken impersonation. Good night, room. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Please, children, scooch closer. Don't make me tell you again. About the scooching, you in the red, chop, chop. Hmm. Jay Moore is the most famous walking impersonator, right? When it comes to celebrities, at least. I don't think we're allowed to sort of mention Kevin Spacey's name out loud anymore. because. <laughs> but uh, Kevin Spacey sort of had a, a nice side hustle of going on talk shows and doing really good impersonations. Jack, really good he does Jack Lemmon really well. He did, he did Jack Lemmon really well because I think they'd worked together on, uh, on stage a fair bit. But uh, I remember he did Walken a few times and his Walken was pretty good. But Walken's kind of a go-to. He's so distinctive that, you know, any chump like yours truly um, will usually take a stab at it. Um, Very much like uh, Ian Malcolm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I mean, um, of course, Chris Walken is still around and please, you know, Heavenly God up there, don't take don't take Chris Walken just yet. Leave leave him with us for a little while longer. But um, I'm wondering who the next sort of big celebrity impersonation might be, and I reckon it might be Ian Malcolm or just any sort of Jeff Goldblum character because yeah. Jeff Goldblum's got a very sort of uh, very um uh, no, well, no I can't do it, but yeah, very sort of distinctive cadence like, to like his the, speech, the, the, the little stutter. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, just, just, trying, just trying to think yeah. that no one else really talks in their own unique way that I can think of off the top of my head, anyway. Not really. No, I mean, not not that it's so distinctive that you'd really make a uh, a great party trick out of it. I, you probably saw that video that was going around. Was, there was this guy. He was like a either supporting actor or a day player on The Walking Dead. He hadn't done a whole lot, but he did this YouTube video that was basically him doing like twenty oh, yes, celebrity impersonations. That, yes. Yeah, and I mean, some of them were really like, oh, that's unexpected. But oh, wait a minute, that was really good. He did like, I know this sounds. Yeah, odd, but he did like a fantastic John C. Riley, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh wow, that's that's really good. I mean, to be close, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and then you try to do a John C. Riley, it's like, oh wait, that's well. First of all, yeah, he's got a really distinctive way of speaking, and two, yeah, that's harder than it than it seems. I mean, I for a very long time, I've sort of prided myself on doing a not bad Nick Nolte, because um, Nick Nolte's got that very very graspy voice, and um, but I could never sort of do it in I could never say stuff that Nick Dolly didn't say I mean I'd have to do Nick Dolly lines yeah yeah I could never sort of go down to the shop and say, give me a 
20 cents worth of mixed lollies or something like that. He's just like, <laughs> mixed do you need, do you need, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I don't want to sing it there, but do you need, <laughs> how about I give you 20 cents worth of strepsils? Because you've got to, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think Christopher Walken's kind of the, um, yeah, kind of the main one. Yeah, for and, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, Al Pacino people do a lot. Bill Hader does a, a great Al Pacino. Oh, he does indeed, yeah. Yeah. Someone else does a really good Pacino. I can't remember who. I remember seeing it on, um, is it Alec Baldwin? It could be, yeah. He, Alec Baldwin actually is pretty good at stuff. like, And it's it's always fun when you see a, a well-known actor sort of do someone who's they've probably worked with and maybe sort of friends with. I mean, I, I remember Matt Damon was on Letterman one night. And did a really fantastic Matthew McConaughey, and that's, I think that's the, the best one about taking his shirt it's off. It's a really, yeah. <laughs> I, I just think in this scene, it might be good for me to take my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see Damon's his whole body language sort of morphed into McConaughey's as well, because I mean, he he just sort of relaxed. Yeah, and you know, Mr. Soderbergh, I think this would be a good opportunity for me to take my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Maddie, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we have to dedicate a Guy and Dando show episode to favorite impersonations for sure because there's some absolute pearlers out there. Absolutely, yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll put that up on the board and get people to uh, respond with their favorites. Now, it's time for the panel, the future of reading. Now, I thought here when they had Bart change it to breeding and then he sort of sighs as the writer's way of saying, can we move on from Bart behaving like this anymore because we're, we're sick of having to think of these. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're not always not always going to be winners, and yeah, at some stage you grow up and you realise, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're done. I'm past. I'm past <laughs> that. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny though. Pretty pretty good way of acknowledging it. What do you think of the Q and A? I loved how Lisa gets the interpretation wrong. I'm embarrassed. Oh with yeah, of us. the Joy Luck Club, but Homer just being so embarrassed by it. Yes. Well, that's the that's just the cherry on the cake there. I mean, being yeah called out by Amy Tan for just misreading the or bad reading of the Joy Luck Club, and then Homer just moving a couple of seats out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, everything about that is. I mean. Um, I wonder if they actually did reach out to Tom Clancy and he just said, no, I'm not doing that. Or if Tom Clancy was still around that stage. I'm wondering when Tom Clancy actually died. Well, let's about have the, a look, shall we? I will look at yeah, Tom Clancy. Talk, talking about was, the author of The Hunt for Red October and Patriot Games. Yeah, yeah, this so. would have been made in late 99, early 2000. He passed away in 2013. So, yeah, he still had a good decade left. Oh, okay. Then, oh, golly. I thought Tom Clancy had been gone for quite a long time. But there we go. But... Um, yeah, I'm wondering if they tried to get him and he said, no, thanks. So, um, yeah, they cut to the Maya Angelou joke, which um, which I thought was pretty rad. And as, as mentioned, yeah, just love most reaction. Maya Angelou's black. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the whole Joy Luck Club thing is pretty good. And then I, I um, don't think she was voicing herself, though. Actually, no, I don't think she was in the credits, was she? No, nah, I think it was just Stephen King, Amy Tan and John Updike, I think, were the only ones that actually were voice by themselves. Ah, that's right. Yeah, the Updike gag is pretty funny. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, Updike's well, he's fairly well known in American sort of literature. He's yeah, you know, was very big in the fifties and sixties, writing books about uh, oh, let's see, the average middle class, middle aged white man sort of frustration of living in suburbia and not sort of you know being a football star like he thought he'd be and all that kind of business. I think Mad Men and Mad Men, a lot of stuff is kind of influenced by Updike. Um, the lovely Louise is a fan. She she uh, really digs his stuff. Well, speaking of Updike, he wrote Krusty's new book, The Biggest Scam. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I did like that. What's your name again? John Updike. Yeah, I didn't ask for your history. <laughs> didn't ask for your life story. So this was, as you said, to set up Sophie finally uh, meeting Krusty. So this is such a pre-social media age when, you know, you had to go and meet someone in person as opposed to just, you know, these days they'd be like trying to find Krusty on social media and be like, hey, Krusty, I'm your dad. Or she'd, she'd tweet him. Hey, daddy. She'd, she'd slide into his DMs, as they say. Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> yeah. But so she's, Bart and Sophie are in the line. Sophie's uh, uh, obviously from the get-go, you can tell she's a new character. It's like, who's this? She, she, she looks like she's someone who's going to be important for the episode, but we've never seen her before. Yeah. Um, she's just sort of in- introducing her excitement to meet Krusty. Something I, something also I liked about the design of Sophie as well. I mean, she's a you know cute little animated kid and all that, but she's definitely Krusty's kid. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Even with the <laughs> hair and everything, yeah. Name? My name is Sophie. Hey, good luck with that. I'm your daughter. I finally found my daddy. Go. They think I just seltzered myself. (laughs) Shut up, Updike. So we come back and Sophie is running through uh, her mum's resume to try and tweak Krusty's memory. And this is where we get the flashback to the war. I thought the whole, you know, we got got the the stand-up routine and whatnot. But the the morning after, I thought they drew Sophie's mum overly sexy. (laughs) (laughs) It's clearly that she. It's clearly that she did get down with the clown. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I liked how kind of not raunchy, but you know, it was it's kind of adult material where it's like you know, Krusty's talking about I don't know, maybe it's the fact the Arab women bird biting. You know, he's he's clearly on the make over there in the war zone, trying to pick up anyone who'll have him, and then he's you know wants to go back for seconds in the morning. Your mission: get down with the clown. <laughs> Even the it was magic. <laughs> um, yeah, so the next morning she wakes up and realizes that she's late for a mission. Pretty big mission, isn't it? Killing Saddam. Pretty, pretty, pretty big Oh, absolutely. Deal. Oh, God, he had some Zero Dark Thirty stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> I, just, I just love that Krusty's so, you know, uh, self-centered. It's like, what? You're going to ruin my You're gonna ruin my routine. Yeah, you ruined half my act. <laughs> So she goes down there and she's about to uh, to shoot Saddam, kind of like when uh, Mr. Burns fucks up Grandpa killing Hitler. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, Krusty does it deliberately this time as opposed to a mistake. Ends up blowing up all the beer for the, for the soldiers. And uh, yeah, so it's just, Krusty's a very, very selfish man. He, he's the reason that Saddam is still alive or was still alive at that point. <laughs> and uh, as a result, Sophie's mum is not a big fan of the Krusty. Oh, Krusty, you caused 9-11. Wait a minute, no, you didn't. We've all, we've all disproved that. <laughs> how does she find Krusty? She typed pathetic clown into Google. <laughs> I, lo- I love how, like, at this point, they're still not saying Google. They just say, I typed it into a search engine. <laughs> I know, yeah. Like, oh, this is a, a weird new development, this whole cyberspace thing. Oh, God, we're all explorers. Yeah. <laughs> the mum then arrives. I like this. That, you know, she doesn't say You never actually hear her speak. In no. the present day, you know what I mean? She's just honking the horn and revving the engine. She's furious. She she looks like she is not happy. <laughs> the rev was a good touch. The rev was a very nice touch. What I like, though, is that she clearly, you know, hates clowns, hates Krusty, but it's Sophie's dad, and she's still allowing her the opportunity to go meet her real father. Absolutely. As I said, a good sort of emotional underpinning. Yeah, pe- yeah. people on The Simpsons often act <laughs> badly or... <laughs> uh, rashly or just unrealistically but yeah occasionally that's like oh no let's do things that are in our in the best interest of our loved ones it's it's good stuff 
This is where Sophie asks Krusty if she can go for a trip to the beach with him. Uh, pretty much says here, <laughs> I'm not really far the material. One of the reasons I pick fights with homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, eventually he gives in. I thought this was a nice little touch as well. Just eventually showing a, a softer side of Krusty. Well, first of all, your eyes are watered. Won't you need a Claritin? <laughs> As a lifelong hay fever sufferer, yes, I can uh, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, I never suffered from hay fever till about two or three years ago. I don't know. It must be something in the water. Yeah, I'm blaming 5G for it. <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons are then having dinner and Homer is saying grace, but instead of saying grace, he is just spreading gossip. Dear Lord, bless this humble meal. And did you hear about Krusty? Woo, man. I mean... I knew he was a player, but geez, a kid. Oh, my, that's not a prayer. That's gossip. Fine. I'll just discuss heavenly matters. So how's Maud Flanders doing up there? She playing the field? Ooh, yeah, really? All those guys? Amen. Like I said, I just loved the shot design. <laughs> who, who is he talking to, do you think? Do you think he's talking to God himself or, or themselves or uh, talking to St. Peter? I mean, the, the person who lets you into the pearly gates. I'm wondering who he's talking to. Well, not St. Peter, because he's not a fan of St. Peter, as we established in uh, Trias of Horror. Oh, that's correct. Maybe they patch things up. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. You'd hope so, anyway. So, we're now at the beach, and Krusty still, I mean, he's made the effort to go to the beach, but he's still not quite being dad material. He's not showing any actual interest in wanting to hang out with her. And it's kind of sad when she's she keeps trying to get him involved, but he's just not interested. Um, but then he looks around for some advice from other people, looks for some uh, inspiration. From oh, other, inspiration. From other, yeah, okay. from other parents. And he sees Apu with his octoplets. He sees Flanders. I love this. So Flanders and the kids are building a sandcastle. <laughs> and Kearney's kid, no, no, no. Let him finish first and then knock it over. <laughs> Very good parenting by Kearney. You can just tell that Kearney's just a, a good dad. There's yes. a lot of, gets a lot of stuff wrong, but, um, or is not on the side of the angels in a lot of ways. But yeah, when it comes to little Kearney or Kearney Jr. or whatever, yeah, doing the right thing. Not for the Flanders, um, though. I, I, as a dad, I'm sure you were watching this episode going, hmm, taking notes or, hmm, yeah, doing the whole Donnie does, don't do what Donnie don't does. I mean, what? doing things and saying stuff and looking at you. I don't know. Is that your kind of parenting uh, <laughs> parenting 101? Well, I, when I saw Homer with the kids, I thought, yeah, this is me in three years. <laughs> 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 like, uh, of all the parents in that scene, to me, Homer came across like the most real. That is what parenthood is like. It's not like you, you do get your moments where, you know, you're playing sandcastles or whatnot. But then a lot of the time, it's just kids hanging off you, blowing bubbles in your eyes. But the way Homer dealt with it, I just thought it was, I just, I, I don't know what it was. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I really appreciated how Homer just was just keeping his cool, like trying to walk on the beach with his big flippers on, Bart's hanging off him, Lisa's hanging off him, Maggie's blowing bubbles. He's like, oh, that hurts daddy's eyes, honey. But he's, he's just keeping his cool. I'm like, he's being a good dad here for his three crazy kids. I certainly hope that you don't say to Nicola at any stage, well, yeah, fatherhood's hard. Fatherhood is hard. Not like <laughs> easy old motherhood. <laughs> Did he say easy old motherhood? I think um, fatherhood's e- fatherhood is hard. Not like not like motherhood, which is easy. Oh, I thought he said like motherhood. Oh, so was he was he putting down motherhood? Holy shit! That, that joke went over my head. Okay, I don't think he was putting it down. I think he was just he was just being his usual kind of ignorant self, shall we yeah. say? Yeah. Well, as he put it, "Daddy's on his high horse, honey." That's correct. <laughs> uh, but Krusty decides he's going to choose Homer to get some advice from him. So I remember this scene specifically being in the commercial. The whole, Dad, I see you, honey. Nice cannonball. That was definitely in the commercial. <laughs> 
Oh, what? she's being what surrounded by a stingray or something. Oh, dear. a stingray, a giant stingray. Yeah, which I like. I know stingrays can kill you, but the the ones at the zoos and stuff have they like had their barbs taken off them or something? Because they let you feed them or whatnot. Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, you go to SeaWorld oh, and it's just like a pool full of stingrays that kids just put oh, their hands into. So I'm assuming those ones aren't deadly. <laughs> I would guess so. Yeah, but one of a my stingray favorite- without a stingray without a stinger is just a ray. What's the yeah, point? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite internet images ever is the stingray creeping up behind the girl for the, the um, photo bomb. Oh, that's right. Does it look like it's got a big smile on its face? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we get a nice little montage here of just Krusty spending time with Sophie. And um, yeah, I always dig these little montages and there's this little feel-good song. But what we're seeing here is Krusty's his walls are coming down. Like he's, uh, you know, he's paying the, the sea captain off to put fish out for Sophie to catch and things like that. Like he's and actually- And especially start- nice touch. Yeah, he's starting to enjoy being a dad. Kid, I got to admit, you're starting to grow on me. Same here, Dad. It's nice that you don't always have to be on. I thought I was on. When was I off? That bit about the tide pool? I tell you, it killed at Jacques Cousteau's funeral. Dad, relax. Just enjoy the sunset. Hey, I know that song. My dad used to play that when I was a boy. It's beautiful. Do you play? No, I guess musical talent skips a generation. Like diabetes. You might want to watch out for that too. And Sophie invites Krusty back to their place. She invites him in and he's about to, but when he steps in the door, he notices that clearly Krusty's, <laughs> uh, not Krusty, uh, Sophie's mum is not a fan of clowns. Uh, what does he compare it to? Beautiful downtown Grozny? <laughs> oh, Grozny, that's right. <laughs> 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 I wondered why I'd written down Zoom here. And now, oh, that's right. All the jokes go everywhere said, Zoom. My little girl's sharp as a tack. I tried the got your nose bit on her. Didn't fool her for a second. My uncle still has my nose. Oh, what a lousy hand. I'll stand. I raise two Gs. I'm out. Fooled Rama. Can we make this hand high-low? No. I pulled. Krusty, are you in or are you out? Oh, man, I'm totally tapped. Would you consider taking my Rolex? You mean this one? Oh, yeah, right. Just let me go to my car. Don't do that. I thought Homer threw out this. I mean, I know he's stupid. But just, I, I didn't quite get the a wimba way, a wimba way. But I st- it still made me laugh, <laughs> even though it didn't make oh. sense. <laughs> um, I wonder how that- this sort of how this card game came together. Who have you got there? You got Krusty, Homer, Fat Tony. Who else is there? Is there M- Moe's there? Isn't he? Moe's there, and there's someone else. I want to. Say- I don't think it's it's not Bumblebee Man. Because he's on Dawson's Creek a bit later. I'm going <laughs> to check it out just quickly. By the way, we mentioned during the Devil- Devil's Advocate bit that um machine was at their house. It was actually, it looks like it's at the Quickie Mart. Oh, okay. Um, so, here we go. So, the card game is, oh, Snake. Snake's the other one. Oh, okay. It just seems like it's such an, un- an unlikely, you know, table of, uh, of poker buddies. Yeah, 100%. But you just, I don't know. I feel like, how do you think this whole, ta- this whole game came together? So, you got, I think like Fat Tony and Krusty just, they probably organized it. And maybe Mo, because, you know, he does a lot of the betting, Mo gets involved. And then Snake yeah. tried to hold up Mo. And Mo said, hey, look, if you don't hold me up, I'll let you join this poker game with, with Fat Tony. So he joins in. And Homer overheard the conversation. So he joined in as well. There we go. Well played. 
Dando, that was um, that was some very good story mechanics on your part. <laughs> Join the writers' room at The Simpsons, man. Uh, I wish. Um, but where were we up to? Yeah, so we're at, we're at the game, and Krusty gets the really good hand. Nice little touch of his bow tie spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just got zero, just no poker face whatsoever. Oh man! And then uh, he realizes, you know, oh, oh, Homer here as well. So they're all folding. Can we make this hand high low? No, fold. <laughs> 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 Krusty wants to call Fat Tony though because he's got the four aces and the king. He feels like he cannot lose. So he goes out to the car to try and find something because he's already given Fat Tony his Rolex. Tries to steal the car stereo. Well, not steal, but take it out. And by doing so, sets off the alarm system, which sends the airbag out and knocks Krusty into the back and he discovers uh, Sophie's violin. And in his mind, like I get, like this is a horrible thing for Krusty to do. It's just Krusty is such an impulsive person. I don't feel like he at any point thought he was going to lose. Oh but, yeah, but it was still it was an, it was nice that they at least had him questioning himself. Should I be doing this? Because if he just went and did it without thinking about it, then you go, well, that's a bit of a dick move. But the fact that he going, oh, maybe should I? Shouldn't I? It's like at least he knows that this probably isn't the right thing to do. But in his heart of hearts, he didn't think he was going to lose. Yeah, he's he's sort of done a bit of a you know moral calculus here and you know weighed it all up. And it's like, oh yeah, but I know I'm pretty much on a guaranteed winner here, so. Yeah, it's um, I think I can get away with this, but <laughs> it was a nice visual touch with the uh, with the four aces, a little barbershop quartet saying, "What the- do it? <laughs> <laughs> She'll never know." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, so he brings it in, and the you know it's not worth much, won't bring much cash, but uh, the sentimental value is through the roof. So a great line. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Fat Tony agrees. Um, but he beats Krusty with a straight flush, and Fat Tony plays the violin for real. <laughs> there's uh, there's nothing Joe Montaigne can't do. I'm sorry, now I can do it for real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, now I can do it for real. We come back and Krusty has to go come clean with Sophie and Tyler that he gambled away the violin. But instead, he brought her the thinking man's violin, the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, though, this is where Krusty, Anna Krusty, uh, Sophie, realized that she should have taken her mom's advice and wishes she didn't actually ever know mm-hmm. Krusty, which is, which is kind of sad. But, you know, he had it coming. The Simpsons are then all watching. I'm assuming it's Dawson's Creek because they keep saying Dawson. They mentioned Dawson, yeah. But, I mean, I don't think there was a character named Janda or whatever in there. You gotta help me. My daughter found out I'm a jerk. Oh, Krusty, I'm sure she just needs time to get used to you. Marge, may I play devil's advocate for a moment? Sure, go ahead. Get in there. Go! Stupid game. Now, what were we talking about? My daughter's violin. Oh, right. As we said, it's just amazing, isn't it? The finest gag of all time. (laughs) I I just love it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's of all time, but my goodness, for surprise gags come out of nowhere that just give you a good old belly laugh, it's certainly up there. Oh, look, I'm cert- I'm probably exaggerating the comic uh, effect, but yeah, I just I really love Devil's Advocate. Um, I'm pretty sure I've you know thrown it up on on Facebook just for for no reason whatsoever, just you know just to celebrate it every once in a while. Uh, yeah, I just think it's fantastic. 
Uh, Homer suggests that they break into Fat Tony's house. I appreciate the writers here sort of pointing out the ridiculousness of it, going, hmm, for a casual acquaintance like you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> They're then looking over the compound wall and they see that there's some sort of uh, mafia conference going on with all the cars in the, in the car park there. They crawl, they're hanging along, like sort of climbing along the uh, the power cable, and they think they're going to get by. And then all of a sudden, they start sinking. I, I love the little banter here. It sort of reminds me of something like a, a stormtrooper. You know the stormtrooper banter in the Mandalorian. Yes, yeah, I was reminded of that as well. Actually, yeah, yeah that that kind of vibe. Yeah, <laughs> it's either a lunar eclipse or nothing. No, solar or nothing. <laughs> solar or nothing. <laughs> so Fat Tony here is just it's just great. So he's greeting all of his uh, mafia compadres. We have our uh, pasta. <laughs> If you if you want your money laundered, leave it outside your door and you collect it in the morning. And then he says, and unfortunately, someone here is a squealer. It's either Johnny Tight Lips or Frankie the Squealer. <laughs> uh, so the Krusty, choice is clear. <laughs> yeah, so Krusty and uh, Homer are going through the house. They see Frankie getting beaten up in the spare room and they come across the pile of uh, cases. Homer, yeah. So they, they go through, they, they, they realize that they've all got guns in them. The violin's in there somewhere. I have a plan. Cut to, okay, well, that plan didn't work. Homer's <laughs> got the, 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 the grating stuck on his ass. Then we hear, for some reason, Louis and Legs, let's go jump on Fat Tony's bed. <laughs> um, it was just a way to have to get Krusty and Homer to rush out of the room. And I don't know, I've, I kind of agree with the reviews in the sense that this ending kind of felt a little rushed, where, like, what was the whole point of sneaking in if they can just walk out? <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, um <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't really know what to say about that. Other than that, uh, I think it's built. The episode has built up enough goodwill up to this yeah. point where it's kind of like, uh, yeah, look, we're near the end. Let's just scoot through the rest of it, and you know, it may not make one hundred percent sense, but eh, we'll still get a few good laughs out of it. it and I think really... I think they've earned it by this stage. Yeah, I agree, but I just don't think it really made much sense why the mafia started shooting at each other. When it was obvious that the gunfire didn't come from the other people? Well, yeah. No, I think if you had to sort of uh, analyse it too deeply, you would probably just end up scratching your head and going, eh, what? So, yeah. Yeah. Let, let's not. Let's just. But, uh... but they make up for it, though, with, uh, with Johnny Tight Lips. Johnny Tight Lips, where'd they hit you? I ain't saying nothing. Well, what do I tell the doctor? Tell him to suck a lemon. I've, heard, I've seen a lot of people sort of reference this in the Patreon group as well. I've, I think Johnny Tight Lips might be one of the last great characters to be introduced because I don't think we've seen him before now I can't recall having uh, having seen or heard of him before this one so yeah nah, but um, he's very memorable he gets used a lot in memes especially but uh, <laughs> but Krusty returns the case to Sophie turns out it's lined with uh, $5,000 worth of untraceable cash as well which uh, which uh, yeah he can't have because he's going to pass it on to Sophie um, he calls her a little uh, Hamantashan which is a, yeah. a, a Jewish cookie so, do you think this episode would have been better had they ended on that emotional note, or do you think it was better having Homer run past? I am a sucker for any time someone does a joke where it's like, well, let's just repeat the um, Homer's joke here. No, yeah, I said I was sorry. Sorry you were such jerks. <laughs> it's so childish, but it never fails to make me laugh any time that, you know, someone says something serious and then tacks a bit on the end like that. I, I mean... Yeah, it's not the best ending, but it's got a gag that I really like, and it's also got what? Oh, that bullet went in. <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed that. Oh yeah, yeah class act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 
<laughs> yeah, what's it? That's Legs and Louie who we were chasing. Yeah, yeah. Him. And, and Frankie's yeah, a, a squealer as well. Yeah, class act. <laughs> so that's all very, very good. So yeah, I thought I thought that was a pretty neat ending. I mean, I think it might have been a nice sort of more well-rounded ending if it ended with uh, a little sort of reconciliation between Crusty uh, and Sophie. But uh, yeah, just having having Homer be be a jerk to the jerks uh, is a bit of a winner. Um, and but that is the end of the episode. Although if we stick around to the very end of the Gracie, you hear John Updike giggling and Crusty saying, "Shut up, Updike." Yeah. So, yes, all in all, I think it's safe to say this might be your favourite episode that you've reviewed of the podcast to date? I, I would say so, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I really dug Pygmalion that we did in uh, in Season 11, but, uh, yeah, this is a completely enjoyable for me from uh, from go to woe. I, I, I like this episode a great deal. I'm going to throw it out there. This is, to, for me, like a forgotten a forgotten classic, really. It's very much like A Tale of Two Springfields. I think A Tale of Two Springfields still gets a lot of mentions, but... This one here, I never hear people talking about this episode. And I've only read a few things where people are very, quite negative on it. But seriously, this is this is one of the best episodes we've reviewed in a season or so. Like, it's just, it's great. I would say so, yeah. I mean, um, look, just by virtual devil's advocate alone, I think it's great. But uh, there's so much other good stuff in there. And it's... it's it, make, it made me laugh a lot. Oh, yeah. And what high recommendation do you want? What do we learn, Palmer? So what did you learn from the episode, Mr. Davis? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe if you've spent the evening uh, in a tent with a, uh, a special forces assassin who's, you know, out to take out a uh, Middle Eastern dictator, I don't know, <laughs> maybe just, you know, say a, a fond farewell and go your separate ways. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that four aces is a gamble. <laughs> it gave us a good poker lesson, didn't it? Jamail! Jamail is here! Ooh. It is the mailbag. Remember, guys, if you're a $1 patron, you get access and you can start contributing to the Four Finger Discount Patreon mailbag. So this first question here comes from Kenny Gad. He says, which other character do you think would benefit from their child being added? Good question, Kenny G. Yeah, Dave Abbotsmith here suggested uh, comic book guy. He says he does get married around season 25, but I feel a child would add some much-needed complexity and agency to his character. And Kenny Gad said, I think Mo having a long-lost child from the relationship he had in Dumbbell Indemnity or from Flaming Moe's. It's pretty cool. Mm. I like I like Dave uh, Abbotsmith's suggestion about uh, comic book guy having a child. I just like the idea of uh, the next generation of snarky nerd. And there'd probably be a bit of a, a culture right, yeah. culture clash and generation gap between the two, even though they're sort of cut from the same cloth. But uh, like, yeah, like, like for example, you have the kid likes the new Star Wars and he likes the old Star Wars. Oh yeah, exactly. So you could have a whole just fantastic episode about that. But uh, but ew, you like as- Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> <laughs> but you know they've basically got the whole same kind of uh, approach to life and that whole kind of uh, worst thing ever. Except ew, worst thing ever. <laughs> I don't know. I think that'd be kind of funny. It would be really really good. That's a top top notch suggestion, Dave. Well done. Um, yeah, nice work, Dave. Off the top of my head, a character who would benefit from having a child. Certainly not Gil. I would not want to be Gil's child. <laughs> For some reason, Lenny keeps coming into my head, but I don't think Lenny's a character that you want to know too much about. No. I don't think you need to delve into their home life too much. I don't know. I think it's hard to go past comic book guy. I think that's a great response. I think that's, uh, I think that's the winner. Yeah, for sure. All right, next question. This one's for you, Guy. Andrew Swan says, tell us about your favourite Stephen King books or stories. 
Oh, golly. Well, you know, Mr. King has written a fair few, as we know, but uh, I'm, I sort of tend to lean towards more of his earlier stuff. Uh, I would say The Dead Zone is probably my favourite of his books. Uh, and I really like the movie that was turned into, which also starred Chris Walken as the hero. Um, it's it's actually a really good movie, and I recommend you check it out. You can find it on any... Um, I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon Prime if you're on looking on streaming services. Uh, it was also turned into a TV series, which was actually really good as well. The Stand is one that I revisit a fair bit. It's one you can sort of get lost in. It's really deep and dense. And uh, actually, I think the trailer for, or at least a very brief teaser for the upcoming TV miniseries, the new one uh, based on The Stand, is that's just online now. And I think that's coming out at the end of the year. Probably his best written book for mine is Pet Cemetery. I mean, I, I've. I still haven't seen the remake movie. Okay, really? I was not a huge fan. I was not a huge fan of the um, of the eighty nine movie. I've got to say, I know a lot. Of, I know it scares a lot of people, and a lot of people have fond memories of it. But I don't think it's all that good. In all honesty, particularly when you're when it's working from such really great source material. I mean, Pet Cemetery is just a. It's a very scary book. Uh, not in terms of like. I mean. You read it in the sort of the dead of night, and it's like, oh, holy shit! And a lot, but it's also really sad. <laughs> I just envision you like looking over your shoulder as you're reading the book, <laughs> <laughs> actually saying it like, holy, holy shit! <laughs> but it, it's also a really, really sad book. I, I, I like a lot of King stuff, and I've got a lot of his stuff on my bookshelf here. Uh, but they're they're probably my three favourites. What's your thoughts on Misery? I like Misery a lot. Uh, Misery was actually not going to be a Stephen King. He was actually going to write it under his um, pen name Richard Bachman because mm-hmm. he did. He wrote four books under the name Bachman. One of the the best known of them is probably The Running Man. Okay. Uh, I don't know if this is a, a funny story, even even an interesting story. But hey, I'm holding the mic here. <laughs> but uh, back in the mid '80s, I was overseas um, and I was in a bookshop just looking for you know just browsing around and saw this book called the running man picked it up this sounds interesting yeah i've got a couple of bucks on me okay i'll take this and took it home and just blazed through it i mean it's a it's a really quick read but a really good read and i just thought oh this is fantastic i really really dig this who was this guy richard barkman and it wasn't until a, a year a couple of years later that i found out that barkman was the pen name of stephen king and then it got turned into the Schwarzenegger movie, which is, by the way, no good. I'm sorry. One of my dream projects, and I'm quite frankly, I'm running out of time to make these dream projects happen. But if I ever had the 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 money and the clout to do it, I would really like to make a, a terrific high end Running Man movie or miniseries. Um, I'm actually I've taken a heap of notes on sort of like an adaptation of of how to do it. I reckon it'd be great. Uh, but. Sorry, that's not what you asked at all. Um, Misery, I like. Misery, I think is a re- it's it's a pretty good book. I mean, it's a it's a bit gnarlier than the movie, and the movie's pretty gnarly. The movie's really good too. Um, I'm just I'm intrigued to hear about your Running Man. <laughs> um, I, patrons may get a glimpse into some of my creative process when it comes to it, <laughs> or later on we could talk a bit more about it. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Alrighty, well, all right. Final question for the Malbo before we wrap up, Keith Nedham. If Guy had a long lost child somewhere that he didn't what? know about, that he didn't know about, what would Dando do to help him out? If Guy asked you for help with parenting, <laughs> um, I think it'd be like, Dando, can can you raise my child? <laughs> <laughs> Have you got room for one more at your place, Dando? <laughs> I get home and it's just an extra kid sitting at my kitchen table. This is just just there. I'm like, where did he come from? I don't know. 
<laughs> so one thing I've learned recently, the older they get, the smarter they get, obviously. But when it comes to bedtime is I'm a sucker for, you know, I put Elliot down and he'll just go, uh, one more cuddle. And then one more oh. cuddle leads to two cuddles, leads to three cuddles, leads to 10 minutes playing with the cars, leads to four books, then leads to six more cuddles, and then maybe sleep. So, I've oh. learned that when it comes to bedtime, don't be a sucker, basically. <laughs> Nicola puts Elliot down and Elliot knows when mummy puts Elliot down, Elliot's time for bed. When daddy yeah. puts Elliot down, it means let's stay awake for the next two hours playing with our toys. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I guessed you might be a sucker when it comes to that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know where I actually heard this, but uh, and look, I've never had an opportunity to put this into practice, but it sounds like good advice when it comes to bedtime is that you give your kids, maybe this is when they're a little bit older, but you give them like a five or ten minute heads up. Well, that's what that's we like, do every night. We, I go, five minute warning, repeat, five minute warning. Okay, and, so- he, <laughs> and he knows. <laughs> So clearly it doesn't work. But, um, <laughs> no, it, it works. It works when mummy puts him to bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but, well, we, we have this thing because he has like all these, he loves the movie Cars. So he's got all the little die cast, they're kind of like Hot Wheels, but they're all the characters from the movie Cars. Oh, like yeah. Lightning, Lightning McQueen and all that. So we let him take them to like, right, pick two cars for bed. As soon as he hears that, you know it's, you know it's going to be easy because he'll either get two cars and start going towards the bedroom or he'll just throw himself on the floor and kick and scream. So, <laughs> when, it, when it's the kicking and screaming, that's when I quietly leave the room and let it, leave it for Nicola. And then when he grabs the two cars and walks patiently towards his bedroom, that's when I'm like, oh, I've got this one. It's all right. I've got it. It's all right. You sit down. You relax. I've got this one. It's a team effort. Yes. But um, nah, the kids are great, man. They're hard, hard work, but it's all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so that is our review of Insane Clown Poppy. I gonna, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't overly excited to watch this one because I just didn't... Not that I had bad memories of it, but I just sort of thought it was one of those episodes you never really hear much about. It's probably just going to be there. It's another probably going to be another guest cameo from Drew Barrymore that's just sort of shoehorned in. But no, mm. this was... this was. If I had to give this a review, I would easily give this four out of five. I thought this was great. I uh, I heartily concur with you, Dando. Yeah, this is a uh, of, of a very very enjoyable episode. Um, yeah, a lot of great gags, a lot of a uh, lot of good character stuff, a lot of great, a lot of good guest appearances. Yeah, I, I had such a great time with this episode. Now, I'm a little bit concerned because next week we're reviewing the episode Lisa the Tree Hugger, which is definitely an episode I remember not liking. Now I haven't watched it for a long long time, but it's just I think this is one where Lisa hangs out with a bunch of vegans or something like that. And, oh, yeah. Uh, she joins like a, a radical group, like environmentalists and whatnot. And I don't know. I feel like it might get a little bit too preachy, but we shall find out next week. It's Lisa the Tree Hugger. So stick around for that one. The problem is that we've just reviewed such a great episode. Anything that comes after, if it doesn't even come anywhere near it, it's going to feel like it's a lot worse than what it probably actually is. That's true, but we will be fair. We're not going to, yes. you know, judge every episode going forward by insane clown poppy standards, but let's face it, it did sit a bit of a high benchmark. Yes, definitely. Don't forget, guys, it is the Four Figure Discount Birthday Spectacular on Patreon. For just $1 per month, you can get access to the Four Finger Discount Patreon group, which also gets you access into the Guy Davis New Name Championship, as well as some... We do occasionally throw out some uh, some podcasts for the $1 patrons as well, some exclusive podcasts. So, patreon.com slash Discount. Thank you so much to everyone who has supported us up until now and everyone who's stuck around during what's been a 
very difficult six months for everybody here in 2020, but we thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the show. Uh, also, don't forget to rate and review us in the iTunes store. We'd love for each and every one of you listening right now to hop onto iTunes. It only takes a minute or so to leave us a review, five stars, and tell us what you love about the show. It just helps us reach more people when they search Simpsons on iTunes and in, on podcast apps. And uh, yeah, don't forget if you want to get your question asked on the show, you can either be a Four Finger Discount patron or send your question to mailbag at fourfingerdiscount.com.au. But for now, I'm Dando. Mr. Davis, any final words for the listeners? Dando, don't make me tell you again about the scooching. Shh.